Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Nick Saban says expectations are a precursor to disappointment, and Lane Kiffin puts his transfer portal king days behind him and becomes the irony king as he rants and raves about NIL and transfers at SEC Media Days. Welcome in to SEC Football Unfiltered, our podcast from the USA Today Network. I'm Blake Topmeyer alongside John Adams. We will unpack some of the more interesting remarks from last week's Media Days in Nashville, including the two I just mentioned from Nick Saban and Lane Kiffin. But first, we will start with our reaction to the media's preseason predicted order of finish. They're all SEC teams and some swimming upstream takes that we have in response to the groupthink. So, John, uh, the, the media's got their preseason all SEC out, their predicted order of finish. Apparently, five media members who cover this conference in some capacity, they I don't know whether that means they're writing for a daily newspaper or perhaps they got a fan blog or maybe they're running a podcast out of their dad's basement, which is not all that unlike what we do here, although we're not sitting in our dad's house. But five people in some capacity in the media, they didn't have to disclose themselves. Five people voted for Vanderbilt to win not just the East, but the whole kitten caboodle in the SEC. Were you were you among that contingent? Uh, no, I wasn't. I, those, I, I mean, the first take on that is, well, perhaps that was a, there was a, an hallucinogenic drug party, uh, before the votes were taken, uh, or maybe it was just a bunch of, bunch of guys thinking, Hey, let's all vote Vanderbilt to win the championship. In a way it's, it, it tells you how serious this is. I, I mean, it's a preseason poll. Who knows what's, what's going to happen in and so what are we talking about on our podcast? The five guys who voted Vanderbilt to win the championship. So mission accomplished. That's that's what you need to do. Yeah, I, I saw a little bit of mild outrage over this voting on the internet. I, I was not in the outrage camp. I was more in the camp of sort of what you were alluding to. Media days and the associated polling with media days are a joke. Um, and I think this proves just how much of a joke they are. Now, I think some polling and some preseason teams are not a joke. Like, for instance, I think the Associated Press takes pretty seriously who it selects to vote in its annual poll. And, and they change those voters every year. I know you have voted it in years past. I voted in it in a couple seasons past. But they really try to do a good job of selecting a, a diverse group of voters from around the country who are pretty serious about covering this sport. The SEC's credentialing process for media days is far less stringent, far less restrictive. Uh, if you say you've got a website and you're a member of the media and you try to get credentialed, you probably can. Uh, I mean, we heard some of the most bizarre questions across those four days from quote-unquote media members. Uh, someone, while Nick Saban was in the main room, congratulated Saban 
on breaking the all-time record for most media days appearances. <laughs> In a career as illustrious as Nick Saban's, I'm sure he's about to hang a banner for showing up at talking season the most times ever. So, yeah, to me, this just proves um, how ridiculous this, this event is. And yet, nonetheless, here we are talking about it. So I want to move past Vanderbilt, John, and and get to the the predictions overall. So uh, let's start in the West, shall we? As we've sort of teased on the podcast in previous weeks, we thought Alabama might be the pick in the West, even though we showered LSU with a little more praise. Just knowing the way this voting goes in years past, there's a lot of media members from Alabama that vote in this. Nick Saban uh, wields a lot of weight in preseason voting. He gained obviously has a lot of well-earned respect. The Saban factor, I think, plays on people's minds in these preseason polls. So sure enough, Alabama was picked to win the West, followed by LSU, Texas A&M, Ole Miss, Arkansas, Auburn, and Mississippi State rounding things out. So what's your sort of against-the-grain reaction to some of this group think that was going on in the voting? Well, as you say, we've talked about it before. I, I just, I mean, if you want to look at Alabama and say, well, Nick Saban's still there and Alabama's the program in college football. Nick Saban's arguably the best coach of all time. And I don't think there's much of an argument to it. So, uh, yeah, you, that's, that's not like picking Vanderbilt to win, to win the East. So, however, if you really look at, at what LSU did last year, what it has returning, the quarterback situation, to me, LSU is a clear favorite. Doesn't mean it, Alabama won't win it. Alabama will play LSU at home. That counts for something. But you look at Jaden Daniels. LSU arguably has the number one offensive player, quarterback Jaden Daniels, the number one defensive player, linebacker Harold Perkins, a really good front seven, an experienced offensive line, maybe the league's best receiver in the league Ned neighbors and an up and coming tight end in Mason Taylor. I just look at LSU, whether I look at it as a, as a team or individually, it just looks better than Alabama. And there's nothing wrong with Brian Kelly as a coach. Uh, so yeah, I, to me, it's, it's an easy pick. It wasn't something I debated much. Yeah, and I think as soon as you say you're going to pick LSU to win the West, and I know we've encountered this, and everyone encounters this when as soon as you you go on that out on that limb, is you get the wave of of Saban supporters coming back at you and saying, "How can you go against Nick Saban for all that he's accomplished in his career? Anytime he's been counted out, he comes off the ropes with with one of his best punches." But all that kind of conveniently for, forgets. LSU won the West last year. You know, I feel like in some of this preseason debate between Alabama and, and LSU, it's almost overlooked, almost ignored that LSU is the reigning winner of the SEC West. So it, it's not it's not preposterous to think they could do it again when they returned as much production as they did. Eight starters back on offense. You mentioned Harold Perkins back as an anchor on defense. They got a revamped secondary. They needed some new faces in the secondary. Uh, that unit got exploited last year in some of its losses. They, they added several tra- uh, talented transfers in the back end. We'll see how well they mesh together, but yeah, it's not preposterous at all to think LSU can win the West. 
because they just did it one year ago. And, you know, I realize in one breath, I'm, I'm calling this preseason voting a, a joke. And I, I do think there are some members uh, who treated it like a joke, but you had over 300 people that, that voted. And so some of the outliers fade away in some of this, and, and you still get uh, some reasonable takes in, in total of the, the whole group voting. And I'm struck by, as I look through these preseason teams, John, there's just one Alabama player selected first-team offense, All-SEC. That's J.C. Latham, offensive lineman. And there are just two players selected preseason first-team defense. So that's Dallas, Dallas Turner, excuse me, Dallas Turner and Kool-Aid McKinstry. So a vote for Alabama to win the West truly is just based on who the coach is, name on the jersey, and their history. Because roster versus roster, LSU's got them beat. Now, you could make the case that Alabama might have the depth advantage, particularly if we're going to include some young depth, that freshman class that was so good that Alabama signed. But we haven't really seen what that looks like on the field yet. And we also still don't know who Alabama's quarterback is. And, and Nick Saban wants to go back to sort of this old school Alabama ball that requires a sure-handed clutch quarterback, you know, sort of someone from the mold of, of Greg McElroy. I don't know that sure-handed applies to Jalen Milrow or, or Ty Buckner. Blake, I, you mentioned the all SEC preseason candidates that Alabama has a very small number. It's been a long time since Alabama wasn't hasn't been more represented on a preseason All SEC team. I, I I take note of that. I when I'm trying to predict what will happen in a SEC football season, I look at those. I look at all SEC teams. I pick whom whom would I put on a team because you know you need great you need a great overall team. You don't win on star power alone. You need depth. But that gives you a good idea of a nucleus. You know Alabama's going to have pretty good overall talent depth-wise. You know Georgia will. You know LSU will. And um, the best teams always have that. But do they have the kind of the star players that at uh, clutch time can, can turn a game their way? I look at Georgia, and that's what I see. Three members of Georgia's secondary are first team all sec they've got the probably the best linebacker tandem in the conference uh they've got you know star power brock bowers to me is the best player in the sec georgia's do everything tight end pretty much lining him up anywhere he'd be a top-notch running back if they put him at running back so i see that and to me that's a good indicator that georgia again will be really hard to keep out of the college football playoff I just think it's significant, particularly a quarterback. When you don't, in Alabama's case, when you don't know who your quarterback is and you don't have great star power, um, that's something to weigh when you're picking an, an, an all SEC, uh, you know, who's going to win the East or who's going to win the West. I'll, uh, I'll give you a couple of my upstream takes as, as compared to this collective predicted order of finish, John, and, and see if you buy either one of these. So number one, the media picked Mississippi State to finish last in the West. 
I would have had the bottom two flipped. I would have Auburn last in the West. They're, they're going to be heavily reliant on transfers. And I'm not sure, you know, we've seen Ole Miss, LSU really add some talent via the portal. Even Alabama's cherry picked some top talent. Now we're seeing Georgia do that as well with players like Dominic Lovett, uh, the, the standout wide receiver who previously excelled at Missouri. But I, I just think Hugh Freeze needs another year to get this program rolling. He's got Peyton Thorne at starting quarterback who was just sort of up and down at Michigan State. Uh, Will Rogers, I know he's going to be in a new system, but it doesn't get much more veteran than Will Rogers, one of the all-time leaders in passing yards. Uh, I think he's a pretty steady hand at that offense. I think there's enough returning for Mississippi State. We know Zach Arnett, what he can do as a defensive coach. Uh, he's very proven there. So I would have had those two flipped. And my other one, John, and I'll get your reaction to each. I think Missouri is flying under the radar as sixth in the East. There are few teams in this conference that return as much production as what Missouri does. Texas A&M would probably be the only team that returns uh, comparable production to Missouri. Missouri, <laughs> and let's face it, they had some games that they they really just threw away last year. Uh, Auburn comes to mind in particular. They took Georgia into the fourth quarter, um, let it slip away against Kentucky in sort of a bizarre situation with a punt there. Uh, I think, you know, I'm not saying Missouri's going to win nine, ten games, but this is a team that's historically in the past been been able to play the role of sleeper team. And I think this is one of those Missouri teams that could do that with the returning production. Now I will grant you the huge elephant in the room at Missouri is, do they have a quarterback? I mean, their, their starter Brady cook or the returning starters coming off off season shoulder surgery. And it's unclear whether they have a better option than him. I know fans are sort of hopeful um, for Sam Horn, the, the dual sport player also plays baseball, but you know, I think it's Brady Cook's probably still the odds-on favor to win the job. I don't know what his ceiling is if it's if it's high enough for Missouri to do the type of damage I'm talking about. But those would be my two upstream takes. What do you think of each of those? Well, I agree with you on Mississippi State. Originally, when I first looked at this season, I would have probably had uh, Mississippi State last because of the huge transition it has to make offensively, going from an air raid offense to a more conventional one. However, upon further review and, and knowing Zach Arnett's reputation for defense, and he has probably next to Georgia the best linebacker tandem in the league, very productive guys. Uh, I think that's something he can work with. Um, and Will Rogers, watching some of the spring game, I just thought, he looked okay. I know that's not the best indication. <laughs> Ringing he, endorsement, John. Yeah, I know. He, he looked but, okay. Yeah, he looked okay. But you know what I'm saying? He has such a reputation of being a system quarterback. Yep. And because he's in the air raid. But he is a really accurate passer. And if the offensive line is okay, uh, he could probably still do some good things. Uh, not real high on Auburn's offensive line, how that will play out. You mentioned the quarterback thing. Uh, Robbie Ashford, I was thought was yeah, I thought he got better as the season went along, and he's a terrific runner. And I thought he was getting better as a passer. And then you pointed out his passing percentage for the 
last few games of the season that I hadn't even looked at it. And it was, it was, well, it was awful. So, uh, yeah, I, I just think Auburn's overall roster is just depleted. I think Hugh Freeze will do a nice job there. And really, if you're a new coach, this is probably where you want to start. Start at the bottom because then you can only go up. Sure. Uh, and so sometimes coaches get in trouble by having a, uh, exceeding expectations in the first season, and that raises uh, expectations for the seasons to come. Hugh Free shouldn't have that problem. Missouri, uh, <laughs> I just I just can't buy what you're selling there. I think you were high on Missouri a couple of years ago, if I'm not wrong. I, I was hoping you would forget that, John. No, yes, I, uh, it was. Uh, it was not last season. It was that 2021 season. Yeah. After there was yeah. lot, seemed to be a lot of momentum and energy going into Eli Drinkwitz's second year. They they sort of over overachieved. I thought in his first season that COVID year, and uh, then I helped ratchet up some expectations in 2021 and they didn't live up to it. So I'm, I'm giving it another shot here. I, I didn't go down that road last year and I'm glad I didn't, but I can't help but look at this returning production and think if they just, if they could just have a quarterback in the group, I think this could be a, a, a team you, you don't want to face a dangerous team, but that's a big if. And the reality is they may not have a quarterback that strikes much fear in opponents. Well, First of all, when you look at Missouri, to me, you look at uh, uh, Georgia, Tennessee, one, two, obvious in the division. Then the rest of it, the division gets kind of murky, but I go with South Carolina probably third simply because of uh, the quarterback, Spencer Rattler. Uh, and then I look at Kentucky. I think it has a better, better looking depth chart to me than Missouri. And I look at Florida, and here's where I, Here's where Missouri could surpass my expectations. I don't think Florida's going to be very good, but I just look at Florida and I look at Missouri and the image factor kicks in, and I think, well, Missouri can't be as, be as good as Florida. Uh, so I, I just – Missouri – you know what? It, it's funny how, like, sometimes one game – or you mentioned that Auburn-Missouri game last year. Uh, just scintillating college football so bad that it was good. <laughs> yes. And then I watched Missouri play Georgia and I'm watching the game and it's almost like, I can't believe my lying eyes. I, I mean, G Missouri is playing as though it's going to beat Georgia. Now, how can that possibly happen? And then Georgia said, Oh wait, we need to win this game. Uh, let's do so right now in the fourth quarter. I just don't have any confidence in Missouri. And I think a lot of it goes back to the year before when it played Army in the bowl game. And I watched Army, which has no passing game, zip down the field in the last minute and kick a game-winning field goal. I didn't think that was even possible. Uh, I just have no confidence in Missouri. See, I think, you're, I think you're being too tainted by the past, John, because this was actually Maybe. a – this was a good. This was a good Missouri defense last year. One of South Carolina's worst games last season. They lost to Missouri last year. They scored just ten points. Um, they had like thirty rushing yards in that game. And and Missouri gets Florida at home this year. They get South Carolina at home. 
Those are two Ten- key Tennessee swing games. Tennessee at home too, I think. Yeah, well, they're not beating Tennessee. We, <laughs> they're not beating <laughs> okay. Tennessee. Reality Tennessee, kicks in. Yeah, reality kick. There, there's a limit to my expectations here, but a couple of key swing games: South Carolina and uh, in Florida. I, I'm not high on Florida at all. I, I think Florida could be something approaching a, a disaster this year, and South Carolina. I just don't know if I tr- how much I trust South Carolina week to week. I know, I know they can rise in the big moments, and and Shane Beamer gets those guys up for big games. But does a midseason game against Missouri count as a big game? Are the Gamecocks going to be up for that cross country affair? I don't know. I, I'm I'm talking myself more and more into the Tigers. Well, here's something in your favor: three through six in the SEC East. There's a lot of there's a lot of room for upward mobility there. I, I just think I'm kind of unsure of those teams. You raise questions about and I I put South Carolina up there at third, and it's really because of the quarterback. And I know the quarterback can be can have some bad games. He has a history of that, but I like his upside and how good he can be when he's on as he was against Tennessee, Clemson, and even in a loss to Notre Dame. So that's what gives me the ed- gives them the edge. And I, I look at Kentucky versus Missouri and see a better quarterback and transfer Devin Leary, uh, also a better running back. And um, so it's just hard for me to put Missouri up there. Who was the defense coordinator at Missouri from the NFL? Steve Wilkes, is that, mm-hmm. is that name ring a bell? <laughs> yes. Yeah. One of the he, worst. He, he's gone now. Blake. Baker I know. He, I know he is. And I'm, I'm mentioning that is, Hey, that's a step in the right direction. Sure. Yeah. He was the, uh, he was the uh, creative genius behind the uh, 21 Missouri team, which whose strength going into the season was supposed to be a fairly talented and deep defensive front. And what was the weakness of that team? The defense against the run. Everybody just ran all over it. Uh, So you're right. I think I'm probably guilty of living in the past with Missouri. And I also love the idea of uh, Coach Eli or Eli. I've started calling him Eli now. I just think he's he's more of an Eli than an Eli. And uh, I, I just think... When he got that monstrous raise to $6 million a year, I just enjoy pointing that out from time to time. A coach with a losing record. Uh, and, and you mentioned to me that, yeah, the buyout hasn't, uh, the buyout isn't, hasn't increased. So, uh, yeah, I just, I've kind of got Missouri there in a box and the box is just above Vanderbilt in the East. And I, I just can't shift it. I'm sorry. Yeah, fair enough. If if Gary Pinkle were coaching the team, maybe I'd uh, say that say it with even more confidence that they're going. I also realize I'm not going that boldly here and saying they're going to exceed right. a sixth place finish in the East. Like, oh, you know, it, it's uh, I think behind the top couple teams in the East, it's like you said, it's pretty murky after that. So to think that they could finish fifth or better is is not the boldest take in the world. But John, I know you had one more upstream thought and it had to do not with the order of finish, but the, uh, the preseason selections 
at quarterback all SEC. And, and to review, that was Jaden Daniels from LSU was the first team pick, followed by Arkansas's KJ Jefferson and Will Rogers and Tennessee's Joe Milton shared the third team honors. I know you were you were feeling like there was a, a notable snub there, correct? Yeah, I just people just don't like Spencer Rattler. I, I, I don't got nothing think that, against him. Am I well, in with people? <laughs> no. Okay. Let's. Ju- I'll put it another way. I think there's a large segment of the general populace that's not in the Spencer Rattler fan club, and he goes back to when he was at Oklahoma, and his body language turned people off. I remember hearing comments about uh, he's a team cancer. I, I don't. You know, he got beat out by Caleb Williams, who won the Heisman Trophy at Southern California, be a top draft pick. But Spencer Rattler is a really talented guy, former five-star recruit, and had a really good year in his full only full season, I think, is a starter at Oklahoma. I think when he's on his game, he's as good as anybody. His His best game, when he's at his very best and he's hot, I take him over Jaden Daniels. Wow! So you would you have taken on your ballot? Is is Spencer Rattler number one, no. or is Spencer Rattler two on on your ballot? He would be two. Jaden Daniels, okay. Jaden Daniels, based on his overall body of work, and I, and I really like what he's done and how he fits in well with what Brian Kelly wants to do. But I think it's important this year that LSU. I mean, It bothers me a little bit when they talk about these great dual threat quarterbacks and they start talking about, yeah, they've, they're getting better at at, at their progressions, reading the defense and staying in the pocket when their greatest ability is when they're just out there, when they're just running around and you don't know what's going to happen. We've seen so many guys like that in this league and Spencer Rattler can do that as well. So yeah, uh, on body of work and overall, uh, because Spencer Rattler can have an off day. He's had a number of off days. But when he's on, you look at what he did to Tennessee. Six touchdown passes, well over 400 yards passing, uh, no interceptions. I, I, I mean, and he was really good against Clemson too. He gets hot, he gets really hot. So that's... That's my testament to uh, Spencer Rattler, and uh, I know that viewpoint is not shared by the masses, and it certainly wasn't shared by the. Where would you have Spencer? Where would you rank Spencer Rattler? I know you're a big KJ Jefferson guy, and yeah, I, I'd go. Um, I'd probably go KJ one. He was two in the voting. I, I'd go Jaden Daniels two, and then at once it gets to three, I don't really care it's not a hill i'm going to die on i'm fine if you want to go spencer rattler three uh, some people believe in joe milton's ability to find some consistency if you want to go with the career achievement award with will rogers fine if you are buying low on carson beck as a first year starter at georgia sure i think he's going to do well there i like the uh I like the idea of some version of Jefferson and Daniels atop the charts. Rattler's interception count last year at South Carolina would concern me. I hear what you're saying about the big game ability. We've seen that. He's proven that. 
agree with all that. We haven't seen him perform, I think, to the consistent level of someone like Jaden Daniels was toward the end of last season or KJ Jefferson has throughout his career at Arkansas, I think. So, sure, if I knew Spencer Rattler was going to perform more consistently this year, yeah, I'd have no problem with him as a second-team All-SEC quarterback. I I just don't know that I, I buy that. Uh, I mean, you know, I could see South Carolina scoring 10 points again against Missouri this year, which is what they had last year. Uh, I could see South Carolina, you know, just completely disappearing against a really bad Florida team. I mean, South Carolina went to the swamp and scored six points last year. And then, you know, then came back like that, uh, bounced right back and beat Tennessee Clemson. So to me, South uh, Spencer Rattler is sort of a, an epitome of, of South Carolina as a whole. They're not a team you want to play because they can beat almost anybody in this conference, maybe aside from Georgia, on the right Saturday. They could also lose to almost anybody in this conference, and they could look really bad on offense doing it. So I'm just – I'm not there enough on South Carolina's offensive consistency to say South to say Spencer Rattler would be among my top two quarterbacks. Well, uh, don't get me wrong on this, Blake. I, you know how quickly I could jump off this. Oh, sure. Rattler yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll revisit uh, about <laughs> yeah, the 1st of October. I, I, I may be wondering during the course of the season, why is that man even on scholarship? much less having a lucrative NIL deal. Things change. Yeah, they do. And, well, things change with Nick Saban last week, John, because historically Saban has taken to the main stage at SEC Media Days and, and made it sort of the epicenter for a, a Saban lecture, you know, a sermon from the mount type of thing. Whatever his thoughts are on the trends in college football, if he wants to get a point across, he sort of used his – his State of the Union address at Media Days to do it. And frankly, over the years, even though the SEC commissioner leads off this event on Monday mornings, you know, we heard from Greg Sankey last week on Monday to get this thing started. It it never felt like that was the opening address of Media Days. Saban always historically has gone on day three of four on Media Days. He leads things off on Wednesday morning. And that always felt like when the event actually began. That that was the most <laughs> the most scrutinized, the the highest attention rate of of the week. This year was quite a bit different. Saban, you know, he didn't really do any lecturing on NIL. I don't think he even mentioned the uh, the term NIL at all. He didn't talk about transfer portal. He didn't talk about the state of college football or future scheduling. We heard him talk about all these types of things during the offseason. But instead, Saban, I thought, if his message was intentional about anything, it was sort of about expectations. And he offered what I thought was a bit of an unusual quote on expectations and success for someone who's experienced so much of both throughout his career. His was his, here was his quote, John, and I'm curious your reaction. He said, quote, expectations in some way are a premeditated way to create disappointment, end quote. Now, I wrote in a column that that sounds like a mantra from the lower your standards, raise your average school of thinking. Am I missing something there? Do you think Saban has, you know, got some deeper level of thought that he's trying to get across about expectations that I'm, I'm not seeing here? I think when Nick Saban says something because of his position in college football, because of all his success, 
we try to weigh it more heavily. We we try to think, hmm, what's he really saying there? As though there's some profound statement being made. We might got to make sure we reach the depths of it. No, he just sounded like an average coach when he said that, an average coach who, who doesn't want to have a lot of pressure on his team. And that's how it struck me. I, I laughed at it. He still has a pretty talented roster, but he doesn't know who his quarterback is. And if I didn't know who my quarterback was at this stage of, uh, of the year, I would be I would be lowering those expectations too. I, I was just waiting for him to say, you know, making a New Year's Six Bowl is a pretty big deal. <laughs> you think Kirby Smart's not talking about – he's not saying that, is he? He His team is being compared to the greatest in history right now if it can win three straight. If anybody has expectations, it's Kirby Smart, not Nick Saban. And it's interesting to me that two of the biggest challengers to Alabama's uh, dominance in, in the SEC or Georgia, which of course has won two back-to-back national titles, and also Brian Kelly uh, at LSU. Brian Kelly isn't complaining a whole lot about expectations, I don't think. Uh, he did say in, in your interview with him that 24 would be the year where they could really challenge for But as we said in, in comment commenting on that that's that's unusual for a coach to pinpoint a season and say boy we're, we're going for it then it's only a year away so I don't think he's trying to lower expectations at LSU I just thought it was really odd that Nick Saban said that would say that because none of the fans think like that he's won six national titles there uh so it, it was also just a strange I almost wonder if Saban was almost relitigating last season like you know that group was preseason number one even though Georgia had won the national championship the year before Alabama was the pick to win the SEC you know there was so much buzz around Bryce Young and then Will Anderson on defense you know that group had really high expectations and and frankly Alabama squandered that team and and Nick Saban had a hand in that that was not a well-coached team last year they did not play with discipline. They were one of the most penalized teams in the nation. And, you know, they finished on a high note by beating Kansas State in the bowl game. And credit should be issued for that. And, yes, they had two losses that came down to the final play against Tennessee and LSU. But they also had three games that they were fortunate to win in Texas, Ole Miss, and Texas A&M. So... I almost wondered if that comment was like relitigating last season of, hey, you know, you set all this expectations for last year's team and that just adds pressure, you know, as a premeditated way to create disappointment, as Saban put it. But I I don't really see that being applied to this team. I mean, we mentioned earlier how Alabama is strangely lacking from the first team all SEC list for the preseason and, and George is the one gobbling up all those spots and Georgia's got five of the spots for preseason offense alone, and then six on defense. So Georgia's the one sucking up all the preseason expectations, and LSU's generated a lot of hype as well on the heels of winning the West last year. So, I mean, Alabama never flies under the radar, so to speak, but if ever there was a team that kind of fits underdog Alabama – 
I don't know if that underdog label really ever should be used with Alabama, but in so much as it ever could, I think it's kind of this year's team. So again, it, it sounded like someone who was relitigating last season and maybe spent a part of this off season touring Italy. And while he was away, <laughs> you know, George is the one gobbling up all the attention and expectation. They're the ones with the pressure and, and the expectation to an extent. So I don't know. It was, I, I kind of agree with you. I don't know that there was some deep sort of mystery or meaning he was trying to get across. It just sounded like a guy who, you know, didn't, didn't achieve to the extent that a lot of people thought he would last year. It maybe if you go back and listen to a speech and take the first letter of each word and then string them together, <laughs> there was a code. Blake, if you go back and look at Alabama's roster last season and now look at it this season, which team, and this is before you see all the the penalties and and crucial turnovers and uh, inconsistency, but if you just looked at the two rosters going into the season, which team would you rather have? I'd rather have I'd rather have the 2022 team with Bryce Young at quarterback and with uh, Will Anderson anchoring the defense. I agree. Yeah, Jameer Gibbs, you know, was a talented guy in the backfield. Yeah, this team does – I made this comment recently on the Paul Feinbaum show, John, and I think Paul about fell out of his his chair uh, when I said this. I said, when I look at this Alabama team, I don't see a program that is on the verge of tumbling into the abyss. You know, I'm not I'm not one of those people standing there with a giant shovel just piling <laughs> dirt on on the end of this dynasty. What my thought is, and this is the part where I think Paul about collapsed, is I said, to me, this Alabama team looks to be a year away from truly threatening to win a national championship again. You know, on the heels of signing what some are calling, including the reser- recruiting service rankings, the best signing class Nick Saban's ever had. I mean, if you watch the spring game alone, you could see Alabama's got some really, really talented freshmen in this program. So I don't, I don't buy the idea that like Alabama's dead, it's over. You know, Nick Saban had his time and it's, it's Kirby's world. Yes. In this moment, it's Kirby's world. Yes. Kirby deserves all the love he's getting. He's, he's, he's built a, um, a juggernaut of a product the past couple seasons. And yet watch that spring game and what Justice Haynes, you know, the freshman running back did in that game and tell me that Alabama still doesn't have a ton of talent that their day may be coming again. I just don't think it's this year. You know, I, I don't know. Is that great? Are you falling out of your chair too, John, to say that for me to say that Alabama is a year away from, you know, maybe winning another national championship. No, not falling out of my chair at all. And, and uh, however, I I don't know that Alabama's a year away. I mean, if you don't have a top-notch quarterback now, you're not making the college football playoff. I don't believe you can make the the college football playoff unless you have a really good quarterback. And I don't know that Alabama has that. And I don't know if it will have that next season. So you can have all this surrounding talent. Go back to Georgia. I mean, people finally 
belatedly agreed that Stetson Bennett was a tremendous college quarterback. And if all the talent that Georgia had just loaded on defense both seasons, it couldn't have won a national championship in either case if Stetson Bennett hadn't played lights out in clutch situations. You got you need that kind of quarterback. Alabama had one last season in Bryce Young. Um, but I don't know that we'll have one next year when you talk about it's when it's ready to challenge for national title. The other interesting comments, John, I thought at Media Days came from Lane Kiffin. If if anyone was doing any lecturing in Nashville last week. It was not Saban. It was Kiffin. Kiffin was up there talking about how NIL and transfers have led to college football becoming a disaster. He, he was uh, casting himself as someone who really doesn't like this free agency of college football and desires some sort of change, whether that's employment contracts or what have you. I, I just thought that was a really strange, hypocritical, ironic, whatever you want to call it, take from a man who's self-described what he's done as being the portal king and who <laughs> has played the transfer game with success, right? Like, I don't think Ole Miss would be able to punch at the level it has the past two seasons, particularly when it reached the Sugar Bowl in 2021 without the aid of an abundance of transfers like it's had the last couple years. So, you know, people can say like, well, Lane didn't ask for these rules. He's just playing by the rules. Yeah, that's fine. But I just thought it was a really strange message for someone who lives in the portal as much as Kiffin does to get up there and bemoan how NIL and transfers are uh, are turning the sport into a disaster. First of all, I don't see the evidence to that. Like college football, if you believe television ratings of some key games is as popular as ever. Uh, you know, the athletes are, are finally cashing in on what many believe. I believe they should have been able to cash in on for years, profiting off their name, image, and likeness. I don't hear the boosters crying that they're now able to spend their dollars how they want. Uh, I don't hear the fans crying that are able to get autographs um, and selfies and cameos from athletes now by coughing up some money. So I don't, I don't agree with this whole premise that college football is a disaster anyway, but even if you are a subscriber to that belief, I just thought Lane Kiffin was maybe the strangest author possible for that. Yeah. And I, I tend to go the other way. I think all these transfers really helped the game. I think it would have been great if TCU could have added maybe 20 transfers before it played Georgia in the uh, national championship game. I think we'd have had a much better game than what we got. Uh, no, here's the thing. Lane Kiffin, yes, it's it's hypocritical when he's speaking on the subject of NIL and transfers, or transfers to be specific. But Lane Kiffin just doesn't fit the lecturer's role anyway on any subject. He doesn't look like the, the prof professorial guy who gets up there and tells us the way things should be. Nick Saban can do that. He's the elder statesman. He can do that. I mean, Lane Kiffin, when I saw him, it looked like he'd taken a nap right before he went up there and didn't comb his hair afterwards. <laughs> and just, I mean, it was like, and then he gets on this, 
and then on his, as you say, he's lecturing. I mean, it's like Clint Eastwood playing touchy feely. It just, it just doesn't work and it's not going to be well received. Uh, then you add the irony of the portal King lecturing on the evils of transfers. Just, uh, <laughs> it just didn't work at all. And, and maybe the, one of the more interesting parts of all this, John, is the more I look at Ole Miss's roster this year, the more I'm almost talking myself into, uh, hey, I think Ole Miss could finish third in the East. You know, throughout the offseason, I, you, everyone's engaged in this debate between Alabama and LSU atop the leaderboard. And then you know, I felt pretty good about having Texas A&M as sort of a redemption-type season in that number three spot. But the more I look at it, the more I think, like, is, is Ole Miss the sleeper in the West? I mentioned with uh, maybe half-hearted conviction that Missouri could be a sleeper in the East. Is, is Ole Miss the team in the West on the backs of what it's done once again with transfers? I mean, they added two very, very good group of five wide receivers in Zachary Franklin from Texas, San Antonio, and, and Trey Harris from Louisiana Tech. And then they added the uh, the tight end from Memphis, Caden Prescorn. Uh, I mean, they, they added a lot of skill position talent, I think, to supplement Jackson Dart and Quinshawn Judkins, who's the SEC's best running back. And... I continue to believe there's probably a, a ceiling on Ole Miss's defense. Probably a middle of middle of the pack is about the ceiling on them. But I do tend to believe that they could be a little better with Pete Goldening as their defensive coordinator. I know he'd probably worn out his welcome with Alabama fans, but I still have to believe Pete Golding is is an upgrade at defensive coordinator. Someone who spent the last few years as Nick Saban's defensive coordinator. So I don't know. I you know, when you get aside this strange rant on transfers that Kiffin had, I actually think with all these transfers Ole Miss added, they could uh, they could pack a punch once again in the West this year, perhaps maybe to the level of that team from two years ago. I don't know if I'd go that far unless Matt Corral is walking in that door. Well, Jackson Dart will have to play more consistently, but in a way, he's Ole Miss's version of Spencer Rattler. He can deliver highlight plays. He needs to be more consistent. But when you look at you, you make a really good point about the transfers. Uh, Ole Miss needed to bolster its receiving core, and it did that through the transfer portal. And it needed more help on defense. And Kiffin has done this before. He's helped his defense with transfers. I think he's done it again. We keep talking about the LSU Alabama debate, but are we sure? Are we sure Alabama can beat Ole Miss and Texas A and M? No, I'm not sure of that. I, I just, I mean, they almost lost to each last year. That that's my point. Yeah, and uh, I, I just don't think you can. I don't think those those teams are that far behind Alabama. Um, I, I wonder. If uh, it, when you don't, you aren't sure about quarterback, uh, that puts you in harm's way. And I think Alabama could be in harm's way against both those opponents. I do feel like I had one, one thing I can take away from SEC Media Days, John. When it comes, when it comes time for our performance reviews, uh, 
next spring. I believe that's that's when you and I undergo our, our annual reviews, right? Usually sometime around the spring. If if the boss man tells us, you know, you didn't you didn't really live up to my expectations this year, I'm gonna say, Well, boss, take it from Nick Saban. Expectations are just a premeditated way to create disappointment. So that's that's sort of on you. It's not on me. That's pretty you think that move will work? I don't know if that will fly in corporate America, but give it a shot. Yeah, maybe my final final days uh, if I pull that line out. But yeah, it works for Nick. Maybe I'll I'll try it on for size if I don't live up in, in my evaluations and in, in my offseason. Uh, until then, we'll soldier on on the podcast. Thanks for listening to this edition of SEC Football Unfiltered. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.